answered prayer. And I'd like to start with a story. I borrowed the title from Charles Dickens. It's called A Tale of Three Civics. Jerry, Steve, and Alex, whose names have been made up for the purpose of this lesson, woke up one morning and prepared to go to work. When it was time to leave, each one climbed in his car to go, and each one experienced the same result. The car wouldn't start. The evening before, each one had neglected to close the car door, and the light being on all night drained the battery. After trying for several minutes, they all realized that this just wasn't going to work. Immediately, Jerry called his mechanic friend, Paul, and asked for help. Shortly with his car, battery fully charged, gave Jerry a boost. Jerry was on his way in a few minutes, continued on with his day. When he returned home, he plugged in his battery charger to make sure that the battery was fully charged for the next day. Steve decided that he didn't need help. He could walk, and as long as he could walk, he was not going to bother getting the car fixed. Every now and then, Steve would try the key again just to see if it would start, but to no avail. Steve has walked many hard miles and missed many opportunities, or many appointments, job opportunities, but his car has been parked unrepaired in his garage ever since. Alex? He was never heard from again. In frustration that his car wouldn't start, he retreated into the house and stayed there until he died. Kind of a tragic story. That car held the same power and opportunity for each of these men. It provided a means of travel, convenience, efficiency, comfort, and power. That car afforded these men the ability to go wherever and do whatever they wanted. The only thing stopping them was to get in and begin to use it. There were no hidden formulas, no secrets, no special circumstances or requirements that gave any of them an unfair advantage over the others. There was no discrimination towards any of them that would hinder the operation of the car. Each one had the owner's manual that gave them all the information they would need for the car to work properly for them. Do you recognize this car? It represents our prayer life. God doesn't play favorites, right? We all have the same access. We all have the same opportunity. We all have the same owner's manual. Al mentioned briefly last week that feeling about your prayers hitting the ceiling and bouncing back at you. You ever had that feeling? Like no matter how much you pray, nothing happens. I believe most of us have experienced this at one point or another. But I want you to think about this. Our prayers were never in the ceiling. prayers are reaching the ceiling, it is because we're trying to send them out to a God that's distant. 
Our prayers are being directed outside of us. Trying to make connection with a distant God. Instead of connecting with the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. Trying to find something that should be there but seems to be missing. See, Holy Spirit is inside of us. When we pray, we pray to Holy Ghost because he's right there. We're not sending our prayers somewhere out, you know. I think God is like three miles north, quarter mile west, and at the elevation of 500 feet. We're not sending our prayers out there. We're communicating with the Holy Spirit inside of us, Right? But what happens when we neglect our prayer life, we leave the door open on our car, so to speak. We leave the door open for Satan to work in our lives. These men that neglected to close the car door open themselves up to disappointment in the morning. When we neglect our prayer life, we open the door to many things that sap the power out of our life. Unconfessed sin, unforgiveness, worry, stress, anxiety, disappointment, disobedience, discouragement, fear, overworking, excessive service. The Bible classifies all these as sin. How can you serve too much and call it a sin? When we are so wrapped up in serving God and working for the kingdom that we don't have time to prayer, it has become an idol to us. It's become a sin to us. When we neglect our relationship with God, it is a sin to us. Anything that is not based on faith is sin. Have you ever tried to serve God without his power? In your own strength? How'd that work out for you? Dry. It doesn't end well. We're weak and ineffective. It doesn't take long and we're burnt out, right? Whatever we do in our own strength without the continual infilling and anointing by the Holy Spirit is less than God's best. Right? It's a powerful counterfeit. It essentially says, I don't need God. Now, I'm not saying we do that intentionally. But when we neglect, if we're not diligent about seeking the Lord in everything, we naturally become prideful, self-righteous, and self-sufficient. If we neglect God in our lives, it takes its toll on us. If we try to live life on our own strength, we will automatically begin to revert back to our old ways and fall into sin, simply because that is the nature of our flesh. When we get to this place, we quickly find ourselves drained and powerless. Sin gets in the way of our relationship with God. It breaks down. It doesn't break our relationship, but it breaks fellowship. We're still God's children, right? 
He's still our Father. But when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, when something is between us, that fellowship is interrupted. And it feels like God is distant and doesn't hear us. Without that intimacy with the Father, our prayers are searching but not making connection. It's like trying to get cell service data in here. Good luck. Reminds me of people walking around the campground with their cell phone. Oh. You see guys standing on the top of their campers. Oh. Watch the air conditioner right there. It is actually very amusing to watch people in the campground with their cell phone. You're camping. Throw your phone away. Leave it at home. Pick it up when you get back. You're not going to do anything about it anyways. But it's funny. We try so hard to get that connection, but really, all we need to do is tap into the Wi-Fi connection here, and we can send all the messages and receive all the messages we want. We can download or share information with no interruptions. Our prayer life is like that. If we're disconnected, it seems like God's not listening. Signal. Really, the problem is at our end. Right? It's not the service. We always blame MTS or Bell because they got lousy service in this area. But in this case, the problem is with us. Our prayer life is like that. We need to be connected to the in-house information communication system. In other words, the Holy Spirit. If our Wi-Fi is turned off or we've turned on airplane mode, we got no connection. If we're not listening, we got no connection. Stop trying to pick up an outside signal with your prayers when all you need to do is reconnect. When you pray and it feels like you're not getting through, don't pray harder. Check your connection. Check your connection. And it's simple. It's simple. God, I need your help. Or Dan, I'm having trouble. I need you to pray with me. Check your connection. It's simple. God, I blew it. I let my anger get the best of me. I let my stinking attitude hurt somebody else. I spent three hours in front of the TV instead of reading my Bible. Ooh, TV. Yeah. If it's an idol, it's wrong. If time with your spouse gets in the way of time with God, it's an idol to you. I really enjoy time with my spouse and my kids. 
But I got to put God first. Because that's what he said. I didn't make it up. He said it. So, what if I told you that there's a way to keep that connection and get all your prayers answered? Would that get you excited? Are you sure you want to know? Because once you know, you're responsible for what you know, right? So here we go. There's quite a few of them. If you got your pens out, great. And these are in no particular order of importance or effectiveness. And this may not be an exhaustive list, but this is what I got. So number one, repent. If your prayers are hitting the ceiling, repent. Fix yourself. Get that connection reestablished. Change what you're doing. Because obviously what you're doing isn't working. Right? Repent. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is effective and powerful. Last week, Al brought a very timely and accurate word about repentance, what it really means, what it looks like, and how it should be affecting our lives. He used the word metanoia, Greek word, which means a change in one's way of life as a result of repentance. To change one's thinking so completely that it transforms one's actions. So repentance starts here. Right? Change your mind, change your actions. Let me back up a little bit. Starts here, change your heart, and then take captive your thoughts, and then let it come out in action. We all have days when our walk doesn't look like our talk. Amen? We've all been there. It happens fairly regularly, I'm sure, for most of us. Our walk doesn't always look like our talk. What do you do? Repent. Say, God, I blew it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. If you've hurt somebody or offended somebody, you say, you know what? Look, I blew it up. I apologize. Please forgive me. I'm trying to be more like Christ, but it doesn't always work. Just be honest. People can handle honest. Right? If you don't want to go to work in the morning, call your boss and say, hey, you know what? I don't feel like coming to work today. He may fire you, but at least he'll respect you. A little bit, because you were honest. I remember this poster. Um, some of you may rem remember Herman, this cartoon comic. There's a guy standing in his door, dressed in his fishing gear. He's got his rod and his tackle box. And another guy standing on the sidewalk with a suit. And he says, um, I know you're sick in bed, but I need the keys to the filing cabinet. He's out fishing. He's not sick in bed. Be honest. People can handle honest. If you screw up, fess up. Right? 
We react harshly to a family member or a brother and sister in Christ. Repent. If we catch ourselves taking offense, ooh, that's easy. It's easy to take offense these days. Repent. If we catch ourselves involved in gossip, repent. Stop it. Give your head a shake. Smack yourself around if you have to. Gossip is listed among the deadly sins. Right, read it. It's, it's, not, it's not small beans. God cares about this. Repent. Have you Repent. Stop it. Crucify your flesh. Subdue it. Paul says, I beat my body into submission so that when I'm done... I won't lose out on my prize. Are you disagreeable? Repent. Do you speak against your leaders? Repent. Doesn't matter if they're wrong. We've got a lot of leaders. You look around, a lot of leaders are wrong in every way. But they're in a position of authority that has been established by God. And God takes it seriously. God says, honor those who are in authority because he has established that authority, even if they're misusing it. Our job is to pray for them, not tear them down. David says, how dare you raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? The man who bragged about killing King Saul came up, David, guess what? <gasps> I killed Saul. There was a battle and he was injured. And he said, take my sword and fall on me. Put me out of my misery. So I did. Now you can be king. And David says, how dare you? God put him there. How dare you take him out? And he had him put to death. David, a man after God's own heart. God cares about the authority. He recognizes that men fail. God recognizes when leaders are not leading, when they're wicked. God recognizes that. We don't have to tell them that. God turns the hearts to the kings. He gives us the leaders we deserve, which is often a shame on us. But our job is not to criticize and belittle and tear them down. If we got a lousy leader, our job is to pray. Where's the grass greener? Where you water it. You want a better leader? Pray. You want a better spouse? Pray. The second one's not going to be any better because it's still you. You want something changed? Pray. And repent. Change your attitude. Change your attitude. What is in our lives that goes against the Word of God? Repent. Turn around. Let's get back on track. Number two, 
Obey. 1 John 3, 21 and 22. says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. This isn't legalism or bondage. This isn't rules and regulations. This is honoring God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Too often we don't obey God because we don't fear God. We don't fear God because we've replaced him as king on the throne of our lives. It's easy to say Jesus is the king of my heart. But we refuse to allow him to be king of our lives. Our heart tends to somehow indicate some distant location deep inside of us. A hidden reality, so to speak. We allow the unseen Lord to rule the unseen part of us, but when it it comes to everyday life, King Me has a hard time surrendering control. I would dare say that willful disobedience may be classified as denying God. Right? Many people say, oh yeah, I'll die for God. But they won't live for Him. I would guess that if we don't live for God, we may not even get the opportunity to die for Him. As much as we like our comfort, I think that's a sad thought. If we're not counted worthy to die for our Lord, because there's no evidence in our lives that we live for Him, ouch. Obey. Let's be obedient. And God's requests are not grievous, right? He says, My ways are not grievous, my commands aren't hard. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It just, just do it. Came up in prayer this morning. We're qualified, right? God put in you everything he needs you to have in order to do what he needs you to do. So for me to say, no, I can't, says, God, you're a liar. You don't know what you're talking about. I can. Just do it. If he says, go talk to somebody, okay, I'll go talk to somebody. Some people find that easier than others. But it comes with practice. Right? Sometimes God wants to grow things in us. And the only way you can grow is by stretching. Right? Jason, how long have you been at the gym? 12 years. If I want to look like Jason, I'm going to have to spend some time at the gym. I'm going to have to grow. I'm going to have to stretch. I'm going to have to push my body to grow. Dr. George said on Friday, 
Calm seas never make a good mariner, a good sailor. We grow when we're stretched. God wants us to grow, so he gives us opportunities. And we need to obey. Number three, forgive. Mark 11, 25 and 26. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your sins. Bitterness, unforgiveness, poison. Poison. If I choose not to forgive Bonnie for something that she may or may not have done, and she doesn't even know that I'm upset. Who's suffering? She's moving on with her life. Sucks to be you if you're holding. It's poison. It's poison to the body of Christ. Unforgiveness, bitterness. Stirs up strife. It speaks against leaders. Ooh, it goes a lot of places. It gets into gossip. It gets into anger, rage. It gets into lying and cheating and stealing. Well, he once did something to me, so I'm going to withhold what I owe him. Ooh, ouch. Now who's guilty? Right? Unforgiveness takes us to a lot of places we don't want to be. It's poison. Physically, studies show that unforgiveness and bitterness are cancerous. In fact, I would dare say that most sicknesses and diseases are allowed to operate in our bodies because of unforgiveness. Not to mention that if we don't forgive, God's not going to forgive us. That's a pretty heavy load to carry. I don't want to carry the load of my own sins. That's too heavy for me. forgive and and if father doesn't forgive you you think he's going to answer your prayers not so much number four keep your tomatoes please number four treat your wife properly first peter three verse seven husbands do not browbeat your wife into submission because the Bible says wives submit to your husbands. Don't do that because that doesn't work. 
just aggravates them. No, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Guys, if you got a wife and you don't treat her right, oh boy, you in a bad place. Because God's not listening to you then. It doesn't matter what she's doing. It doesn't matter if she respects you. It doesn't toast every morning. Or leaves the laundry laying around. It doesn't matter. That's between her and God. How you treat her is between you and God. And God cares more about that than the laundry. In fact, if we don't treat our wives properly, God's going to just turn off the switch. Ouch. I'm not listening to you anymore. Until you get this fixed, don't come talk to me. Growing up, dad says, go mow the lawn. You come back a couple hours later. Hey, dad, can I use the car? No. Hey, Dad, you want to help me with, you don't want to build something in the garage. You want to help me? No. God, I'm having, or I'm having this problem with my friend here. He's being a jerk. He's being stupid, whatever. We got in this fight, la di da di da Not even listening anymore. Our prayers don't get through to God if our wives are neglected, boys. Treat your wife properly. Number five, treat others properly. Ephesians 4, verse 29 to 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness or unforgiveness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. There's that word again. Forgiving. What's with that? Got to treat them nice. I got to forgive them. Next, you're going to say, I got to love them. Well, yeah, actually. And then I got to go the extra mile when they need help. Well, yeah. Just don't ask me to pray for him. Well, yeah. Be kind to one another. Treat each other properly. The same way that you want to be treated, 
that's how we're supposed to treat others. But we get to do it first. Right? We get to be the bigger man. We get to set the example. Right? Look at me. I treat people right. Yeah. Number seven. I'm coming back to it. I'm doing this on purpose because I treat others so well. <laughs> Number seven is humility. Luke chapter 18, verse 10 to 14. Once there were two men who went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood apart by himself and prayed, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. I'm not greedy or dishonest. I'm not an adulterer like everybody else. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over there. He's a cheat and a thief. I fast two days a week, be one-tenth of all my income. Look how good I am. Nice suit. The tax collector stands off in the corner. And he doesn't even lift his eyes towards heaven. He says, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I need you in my life, God. Which one do you think went home with answered prayers? The cheat, the thief, the liar, the sinner. He's the one who got his prayer answered, not the righteous man. Look how good I am. I treat people properly. I pay my tithe. I'm faithful to my wife. <laughs> you better be. And these are things we should do without boasting. These are simple requirements. Like, how does that make you better than anyone else? It just makes you obedient, finally. <laughs> right? But humility. God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I've ruined my life. I need help. Humility. Proverbs 15.33 says, Humility comes before honor. I'll put it this way. When God answers our prayers, he honors us. Does that make sense? Can I say that without being out of line? When God answers our prayers, he's honoring us. Humility comes before honor. And that doesn't just mean humility before God. That means humility before each other. Number six, give. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 9 says, You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Enough said. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You look around society and you look at generous people. They're usually doing very well financially. They've got a lot of friends, not a lot of stress in their lives. other than outside of their financial state, their life is usually one that we would say would be worth striving for. Right? Generous people live a good life. But generous people also get it back then. That's why they live such a good life. Because being friendly to others comes back at you. Helping others comes back. Giving to others comes back. Seeking the good of others comes back. Treating others kindly comes back. Honoring your spouse comes back. Forgiving comes back. Loving people, loving the unlovable comes back. Anybody can love the nice people. That's easy. Right? Even sinners do that. But when you love the unlovable, there's a reward. When you're generous with your affections and your love, there's a reward. Number eight. Psalm 37 verse four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Everyone has desires. We all have things that we would like to see in our lives, right? And these things aren't wrong in themselves. In fact, Father wants us to have good things. But he wants our heart first. We're supposed to delight in him, not in our desires. Right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires. If you delight yourself in your desires... He can't give you anything because you're not looking. Christmas time, when your kids come around, do you give them gifts while they're looking away, doing other things? No. Christmas is maybe not the best example because it's all a bunch of excitement and hype anyways. But at other times... You want to give something nice to your kid, what do you do? Hey, you, come here. And if he's too busy doing what he's doing, guess what? 
the new bike stays in the back of the van. Or the rollerblades, they stay in the box because he's too busy to come and see what I got. Right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you your desires. In fact, he puts desires in your heart. He puts them there. So when you delight in him, he already knows what you want. He's been preparing this thing for you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Too often we set our heart on our desires instead of on God, and our desires become an idol to us. Ouch, there's that word again. But God wants to do things for us. He wants to be part of our lives. He's not the guy with the ant farm and the garden hose waiting to flush us all out when we do something wrong. That's not him. That's not my God. He wants to be part of my life. He wants to have a relationship with me. Not because of what I've done. Not because I'm all that. Not because I treat people nicely. No. Because he made me. I'm created in his image. He wants to be part of my life. And when I delight in him, when I reciprocate that affection, then there's a free flow of communication and blessing and everything I need in my life and everything I need to bless others around me. Number nine, be single-minded. James 1, verse 6 to 8, But when you pray, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. What? Not expect to receive anything? Just because I'm not sure? Exactly right. That's what it says. You can read it. I've got it all written down here. I didn't flip to it, but you can read it. I'm sure your Bible app on your phone even says it. Google even says it. I'm pretty sure Google would say it. What is it that you want? What are you asking God for? Does it line up with what you're believing for? Does what you ask for line up with what you're believing for? Let that soak in a little bit. Too many times we ask for this, but really we're expecting this. Right? It's part of the lie that we've been fed saying, God doesn't really want you to have that. But you go ahead and ask. Because it makes you feel holy and, and righteous when you talk to God. You go ahead and ask because that's a noble thing to ask for. 
But God doesn't really want you to have that stuff. So that's the lie, right? That's the lie. Satan says, you go ahead and ask. I'm not going to give it to you. And he say that. He's not going to give it to you because dot, dot, dot. You did or you are or you can't or you won't or you didn't. Too many times there's a difference between what we ask for and what we believe for. We need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If your mind doesn't agree with your faith confession, change your mind. Change your mind to agree with God's word. Do not allow your mind to disagree with your spirit. Do not allow your mind to disagree with your spirit. Be single-minded. Believe that what you're asking for is what God wants to give you. Now, within parameters, right? Like, you don't pray out by, you know, disease or something like that just because they don't treat you nice. That's not God's character. But get your prayers right and then believe that it's going to happen. God, bless them with mercy. Bless them with repentance. If they need to repent, and sometimes it's obvious, we can see this without being judgmental. Right? We're fruit inspectors, after all. We can see when our neighbor needs Jesus. Bless them with repentance. Bless them with salvation, God. And then believe that the opportunity is going to come that somebody, somewhere, if it's not you, is going to be able to speak life and minister healing and bring salvation to that house. Be single-minded. Not, well, God, I wish that you would change that man. But, oh, man, I can't stand him. He is such a jerk. Which side are you on? Be single-minded. Don't vacillate. It's a terrible word, but it, it, yeah. It's dumb, and it describes people who are on one side and the other back and forth. Don't do that. Be single-minded. Focus. Get your mind in agreement with your heart. <coughs> Number 10, pray according to God's will. 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions, petitions that we desired of him. <coughs> if we ask according to his will, we got it. Promise, right there. That's our confidence. God's going to do it if I ask according to his will. It'll be done. But I don't know what God's will is. Liar. <laughs> you know what God's will is. 
He's written it down for us. Now, he doesn't say, oh, Val, you should, um, you should be working at such and such a different place. It's, that isn't written in here. Right? But what is written is says, uh, my sheep hear my voice. A stranger they won't follow. What is written is, whatever your hand finds to do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever. Oh, should I work at McDonald's or A&W? Who's hiring? <laughs> there you go. Third option. Just work. Do something. <laughs> yeah. You might have to just grab yourself by the scruff of the neck and drag yourself out of bed. And it doesn't matter if your head hits first the first couple of times. It's a good way to wake up. And then do something. Rather let him labor with his hands, working something good that he may have to give. According to God's will. But according to God's will, what does it say about my health? What does it say about my family? What does it say about my neighbors? What does it say about my bills? It's all in here. If you don't know it, start reading. We do not have the right to say, I don't know what God's will is. Because he's told us. We have the written word. We have the spirit of God bearing witness in our hearts. We have that little voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. We have dreams, we have visions. Number 11. Speak the word. Psalm 103, 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels that excel in strength, his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of our complaining. Hearkening unto the voice of the media. Hearkening unto the voice of his word. We've heard many times visions that people have seen or images, pictures that people have seen of angels standing on the side of the battlefield, arms crossed, helmets under their arms, swords sheathed, waiting for their commandment. Waiting. Meanwhile, the battle's going on, and they have been commissioned with the power to make things happen, but they haven't been given the command. Right? And it's not need that commissions the angels. It's not whining or complaining. 
It's not our good works. It's God's word. You, his angels that excel in strength, hearkening to the voice of his word. God is not moved by need or desire. He's moved by faith. He's moved when his people believe his word and speak it out in faith. The word of God cannot fail. He watches over it to perform it. To see that it is accomplished. When you're going through trials, you need to know that you're not alone. You need to know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The one who is with me is greater than the ones who are against me. Because we need to know this. We need to know this. Greater is he that is in me. I need to know that no weapon formed against me will prosper when I'm being accused. When I'm under attack, no weapon formed against me will prosper. But in all these things, I am more than a conqueror through Christ. I need to know that by the stripes of Jesus, this body was healed. Right? Not maybe. Not if God chooses to. It's done. It's done. Past tense. Done. Finished. The 39 lashes that Jesus took before his crucifixion, the stripes on his body, that's my healing. I need to know that God's going to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's his word. I need to know that. I need to believe that, and I need to speak that out. I need to know that nothing will come against me that the power of God hasn't already overcome. Number 13. We'll skip to number 12 another day. Number 13. Persist. Luke chapter 5, or pardon me, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13, talks about the man who has a friend that comes in from out of town, and he doesn't have enough to feed him because he hasn't been shopping. So he goes to his neighbor and says, hey, the store's closed, I need some food. I got a friend over, surprise visit, I need some food. And his neighbor says, man, it's the middle of the night. I know, I need to feed my guest. I don't have any food. Are you coming to the door? How many of you saw that video that pastor uh, sent around last week one day? This preacher talks about having friends that know the word. And he, this guy's driving past his, the house, and he sees one car, sees his friend's car, he sees the girlfriend's car, but he doesn't see the parent's car. And he gets up on the door. Boom, boom, boom. I know you're in there. 
I know you're in there. I'm not leaving until you come out of here. Because he had made covenant. He had asked them to keep them accountable so that they would remain pure in their relationship until they were married. And so as he's driving by, he sees the two cars in the parents' house, but the parents' car is not home. So he's like, uh, bing, warning sign, snake coming. (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. Hey, I know you're in there. I know you're in there. And he goes around to the side, goes to the back door, bangs on the window, and he's shouting. And he's quoting scriptures at the guy. All around the house. All around the house, back to the front door. And he won't quit. And he persisted. And he got the answer. He won that day. Knock. Knock, 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 knock. Says not because he's his friend, because a little bit of a different culture, right? Back then, when you put your kids to bed, you lock the door and you go to bed. It's not as easy to just get up out of bed and go and take care of your neighbor. It's a bit of a bigger deal. We would probably do the same thing, mind you, because I don't want to get out of bed in the middle of the night because someone doesn't have any food. Like, dude, you should have thought of this. Go shopping, right? Take them out to McDonald's. They're open 24-7. Whatever you have. I don't want to get up in the middle of the night. But because of the persistence, he got his answer. He got his answer. Don't give up. Keep pushing through. You never know which knock is going to be the one that breaks through. Keep pushing through. Be thankful. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Thanksgiving and praise opens doors. A thankful heart. Mark uh, number 15. Take some time for fasting. Mark chapter 9, verse 29. The story of the young boy who's possessed by a devil and throws him in the fire and it tries to drown him and all these different things. This demon tries to destroy this young boy. And the father's been for help to everywhere he can. Jesus' disciples, and they couldn't do anything about it. And finally Jesus said, you, come out. And the disciple says, why didn't that work for us? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Jesus had been praying and fasting. And when he called it out, he got his answer. Prayer and fasting. There's, there's a lot more to 
to fasting than I, I want to or have time to get into today, but it's, it's an important part of our lives. Spiritually, physically, it has benefits as well. But Jesus says fasting. Number 16, pray bigger. Mark chapter 11. Pray bigger. Thought came to me recently. We don't get stuff because we don't ask for stuff. We don't dare God because we think, oh, I shouldn't be asking for that. Ephesians says God is able to do more. Immeasurably more than our little minds can even come up with. Start asking him for stuff. Like, oh, God, bless my day. Keep me safe on the way to work. Yeah, I mean, that's all good. But how about, God, there's a guy at work in a wheelchair. He needs healing. My neighbor's got stage four cancer. He needs healing. Or my neighbor doesn't know Jesus. He needs salvation. Excuse me. Why aren't we asking God for the big stuff? God, I need a new car. I got no money. It can happen. If we ask, pray bigger. Don't drop your mustard seed. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can command this mountain to move and it'll move. I think sometimes we drop our mustard seed. Pastor posted a meme the other day. says, if your faith can't move your mouth, how do you expect it to move a mountain? Hang on to your mustard seed and use it. Ask for bigger. God wants to do bigger. He doesn't want to sit in a little, you know, nice little church here in Plum Coulee. Yeah, I'm okay. I got my friends. I'm good. No. God, give me influence. Give me a platform. Use me bigger. Go big or go home. No, don't go home. We're not done yet. So just go. ask God for bigger. Pray bigger. Jeremiah 29, the number 17. Pray. If you want answers to prayer, pray. Too many times we're like, oh, okay, God, I think I, I need some. On our way to work, we're running down the sidewalk. I quickly go and get some stuff in the shopping center and and from the car to the store, you just whisper a few things. Oh, la, 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 you know. It's all good. Be continuously in prayer. But sometimes we got to stop. Get on our knees. 
and shut off the world. And pray. Spend time with God and nothing else. Nobody else. Close the door. Kids, leave me alone. Don't bother me till I come out. If the house is on fire, you can drag me out by my hair, but otherwise, leave me alone. Pray. Be still and know God. Shut off the world. Seek God. Ask Him for stuff. Pray. Be intentional about your prayers. Not wishful thinking. Oh, it would be nice if so-and-so would be saved, Father. They really need you, God. Not wishful thinking. If I didn't have this pain in my back, it really would be nice. And we pray like this, don't we? Am I the only one? It really would be nice, God, if this would just leave me alone finally. Prayer is not wishful thinking. Prayer is intentional. Be still and know God. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't know. Jeremiah, again, 29. Where did I put it? There we go. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When we shut off everything else, And get before God. Get on your knees. You can't wander around. You can't look at what still needs to be done in the house. You can't think about all these other things. Get on your knees and just call out to God. Be still and know God. Be still. Pray. The three men from the story at the beginning had a choice, each one of them. They all got disconnected. And they all had a choice of how they were going to respond. One cried out for help. One said, forget this mess, I do it on my own. Every now and then he tried praying a little bit, but there's still that disconnect. And it didn't work. And the other one completely gave up.
What will be our response? Are we going to go for help? Are going to call a friend and say, hey, I need a boost. I'm having a hard time right now. Can we pray together? Yeah. Yeah. Going to go to God and say, I'm sorry. I blew it. And get ourselves right. Get ourselves plugged into the charger again. Get that connection back. We'll give up on prayer altogether. Let's press in. God wants to answer our prayers. He wants to. He longs for that. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro, seeking whom he may show himself to. God is looking for people who are calling out in prayer, believing him. Believing for more. Believing for miracles. Believing for breakthroughs. If you've lost that connection today, it's easy to get it back. It's real simple to get it back. God doesn't withhold. He doesn't He doesn't count our sins against us. He says, you, you messed up. Straighten up. Let's go. Come on. Come on. He's not sitting there, okay, now 25 push-ups and and then go mow your neighbor's lawn and then I'll think about accepting you back. Right? That whole penance thing. That's not God. He's waiting, wanting. He's willing and able to do so much more. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you have made that way for us to come into your presence. You have made a way for us to be made right. You have made a way for us to overcome And all you ask is that we come. 